This is part five of It's My Decision, and the title is The Decision That Brings Blessing. And in this final installment, we come to a decision that is attached to our relationship and our worship of God. It's a decision that is God-centered. It's the right decision. It's a biblical decision, and it gives honor to God and a blessing to us. It's the decision of giving financially to God. Two chapters of Paul's letter to the Corinthians is dedicated to this financial giving. You see, giving to God is a very, very important decision. Jesus himself spoke more about money than he did on hell itself. Why? Because our money is an issue of our relationship and our worship to God. You see, in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 19, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is telling us something very important here, that money deals with a spiritual issue. And we all know that faith and prayer and, you know, being obedient to God's word, those are absolutely spiritual issues because those issues deal with the heart towards God. But like prayer, like faith, like being obedient to God's word, money is on the same level as a spiritual issue. You know with me that Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, so shall your heart be also. So money is a heart issue. Thus, it's a spiritual issue. And if I was to ask, you know, anybody to ask them if they ever knew that to be true, they never would have ever put that on the same level, money and prayer and faith on that kind of level at all. But listen, if your story is one of faith in Jesus Christ, and you walk by faith in Jesus Christ, and you trust God in faith, you believe in prayer, you talk to God, and you know God answers prayer, and you seek God's will for your life through prayer and his word, but to withhold money to God financially, you see, that's not consistent with, you know, your story or my story of faith and worship of God. It's that story that you want to tell, I trust God for heaven, but not my money. You see, Jesus said this in Luke 16. He says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which mammon means money or material things. So Jesus was saying when money or material things are involved, there's no such thing as inconsistent story of faith and worship. You can't say my faith is one thing and my money is another thing. No, that doesn't work in the kingdom of God, for money is a spiritual thing, and so it all comes together, and that's to, that's to be consistent in your story. And so that is why Jesus talks so much about money. He knew that our approach to finances revealed something about our relationship and our worship of God. And listen, there's a very important biblical principle that is very helpful in getting us on the road of the worship of God with our finances, and it's this. The money we have is not our money. Now, listen, if we can wrap our minds around that, we're on the road to making some good, consistent, biblical, God-honoring decisions. And in Matthew 25, there's this story or this parable of the talents where Jesus gave these talents to these individuals, and they were supposed to go and get more talents for that. And, you know, two of the guys did it, but one guy just went and buried the talent and did not have any return for that or show any kind of profit for that at all. But the important thing is that parable of the talents was told by our Savior Jesus, and it was about the stewardship that we have with others' resources, and that was the Lord's resources. Because it says in verse 18, it was called the Lord's money. And in verse 27, the Lord himself called it my money. It's his, and the day will come when we must give an account 
for his money. And that counts either going to reveal reward or regret. So we are stewards of somebody else's money, and that is actually God's money. We're actually investing God's money to benefit God himself. So before we read in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, let's recap real quick what Jesus has to say about money. The money that we have, he says, number one, it's God's money. The money that we have, number two, is it's a spiritual issue. And number three, money is probably the number one competitor for our alliance to God. And that's something that we need to remember with that. Because Jesus said that in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, when he says we are going to either serve our stuff or we're going to serve God. And we want to have the right consistent story, not let that be our number one competitor for our allegiance to God. But in our text in 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling the Corinthians about the generosity of the churches in Macedonia and, and, and to the church of Jerusalem, actually. There was great poverty in the Jerusalem church, and those churches in Macedonia were financially willing to give to them through the church. And Paul says that they were begging Paul there in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, begging Paul for them to give to the needs of the church there in Jerusalem. I mean, these people wanted to give tremendously. They were imploring Paul that we want to give. Well, the Corinthians, you know, had said that they would like to do what the Macedonian church is doing. And in early there, they wanted to help out the church in Jerusalem. So as Paul opens up in chapter 9, he's going to tell the Corinthians, now, this is what manner they are to be giving. Because once a person gets over doing it grudgingly, there has to be a manner of giving. And Paul talked about you don't want to give grudgingly. You always want to give cheerfully. And so once you get to that point of doing it cheerfully, he says in Actually, in chapter 9, in verse 5, he puts it this way. He says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a manner of generosity and not a grudgingly obligation. And so a manner of generosity shows honor to God and blessing for us. But if it's a grudging obligation, has no honor to God and has no blessing on our behalf so it's true it has to be a manner of god and it's also true in the new testament there's no mention of the tithe or giving 10 percent. now that doesn't mean you don't you don't because 10 percent is actually a manner of generous giving and that's what the new testament stresses for me and my wife debbie we've had a conviction right off the bat that 10 percent goes to god and that helps us to have a starting point that is consistent with every time i am paid but we can go beyond that from time to time to live in that realm of the New Testament, and it's the manner of generosity. As other things arise or missions arise or outreaches arise, we want to be able to not stop short but always be generous in giving to that too. So understand, under the manner of generosity is going to come this thing called sacrifice. And no doubt about it, if you give 10% or the tithe, for many, many people, that is a sacrifice. So that shows that that is generous giving. But interesting, Jesus talked about this when he talked about the story of the lady that he was watching putting two mites into the treasury there in the, in the city of Jerusalem at the temple area. And Jesus was sitting back and watching these people and the rich and, the, and this poor woman put in, you know, these, you know, their money to give to God. But the point of this was this. That means that he was watching and taking note of our giving, of their giving. He pays attention to givers. But he saw the rich and the widow put in money, but he made no comment on the rich, but he did on the widow. No doubt Jesus was blessed to see them both surrendering their finances, and Jesus is paying attention to that. Yet Jesus knows the widow was sacrificing. So the rich and the widow both surrendered money, yet we know the widow gave to the point that it was sacrificed. See, that's generous giving. 
It wasn't the amount that made it generous. It was the sacrifice that made it generous. Generosity is not about the amount. It's always about the sacrifice. And there's another important biblical principle, and it's this. We decide it's the right thing to do more than what I get back. Yes, there are blessings. There's rewards. We know that. But if I'm thinking in my giving, I get, then my giving's about me first. But if I give, thinking this is the right thing for God, for it honors God, then there's a promise of Jesus to us. And it's this. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything will be added to us. We decide it's the right thing to do first, more than what I get back, then I do that, then everything he promises will be added unto us. Now, sometimes people feel or are told that they, are, they, have gave, they give too much to God when generosity is embraced. Some people are criticized for that, but you can't outgive God. And Paul talks about that in verse 6 of chapter 9 when he talks about the, the, you, you know, when you reap, you will reap generously if you sow generously. And he, he gave us a principle for that. But also it says that God will be a debtor to no man. In other words, God is not going to owe me or you. God will never say, you know, wow, that's way too much. I can't meet that. Now, listen, every time you give to God, he will outgive you because he will not be indebted to you. And why he outgives us is because he is more than generous. It's not just fair and right. God wants to go beyond what's fair and right. He wants to be generous to you and I. So God's giving back is not always in dollars. It might be in, in our marriage. It could be with our kids. It could be in health. It could be even getting out of debt, too. So in making that decision to give financially to God, to honor God in that way, it has a life-defining moment for our life, absolutely written all over it. And so that's important for us to note that. Now, understand, too, is that Jesus, he used Peter's boat to go out and preach in. And this is a great story. When, G when Peter, Jesus needed his boat, he asked Peter if he could use his boat, and Peter graciously said, take it for the kingdom of God. It's yours, Lord. And after Jesus had used the boat, he had Peter take it out a ways from the shore, and then Jesus had Peter drop his net. And Peter took in a haul of fish that almost sank the boat. They had to have the other boats come in and help them haul the fish in. Because you see, Peter, you know, gave Jesus his boat, and Jesus won't be indebted to no man. He gave back with a huge haul of fish. He gave back even more generously to Peter. And when Peter gave Jesus his boat, Jesus didn't give back to Peter a second boat, but something else that would define his life in a great capacity. And it was that generosity, that huge catch of fish that would really define his life and his family's life for many, many months to come. You can't outgive the Lord. But did Peter give God his boat out of the chance that he might get something back? I don't think he did. I think he's just being generous. I think it's just a willing attitude. I think it was just a decision of honoring God. So in faith, Peter gave. And once, once again, Jesus said, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all things will be added unto us. So I think it was honor to him first, not will he fill my net. Peter never said, sure, you can use my boat, but let's negotiate what I'm going to get back in return. I mean, you're the son of God. You can reward me well. So let's talk about that and what you will do for me. No, Peter didn't do that. For he learned a well-taught lesson from Jesus in a parable, which I think, I could be wrong, but I think the parable was really pointed towards Jesus himself. And it's the parable of the vineyard and the harvest of the vineyard. And it's a great story because basically what happened was this guy goes and gets these laborers to come in and work in his vineyard. And he goes in at 6 a.m. and he comes back at 9, gets some more. He comes back at noon, gets more. He comes back at 3 and gets more. He comes back at 5 and just at the 11th hour, he even gets more. And it, to work in his vineyard. 
And the thing is that took place is that they would they got paid the first group at 6 a.m. They got to, they got to pay a denarius, which is a Roman coin sufficient to meet basic needs. And so the landowner was anxious to get his harvest in before the rain. So he went to the labor pool at six and, at, you know, and at, and at nine and twelve and three and five o'clock and so forth. Now, the men hired early in the day at 6 a.m. would not go to work until they knew or they negotiated how much they would make. That's in verse 2 of chapter uh, 20 of Matthew. The other workers had no contract. They didn't negotiate. They just trusted the owner to give them what was right. The owner paid the men in reverse order so that the 6 a.m. group would see how generous he was to those who did not have a contract. What did those do who negotiated a contract with the landowner? They complained. But what they received was exactly what they bargained for. And let me say, beware of making bargains with God. Because you have to go back to that parable. Because before Jesus launched that parable, it was something that Peter said to the Lord when he asked the Lord, and he asked him, well, I, what will I get out of this when we gave up all that we had to follow you? What am I going to get out of this? He was almost trying to ask Jesus for a contract, a negotiation, in a way saying, let me just see if this is going to be good enough for me to do all this. And, and Jesus, of course, told me, you're going to get rewarded, Peter, for that, but you don't want to go that route. And that's when Jesus launched this parable. Leave it up to me. I'm going to go beyond what's just and fair. I'm going to blow your socks off with the, what I'm going to do for you. And that's what he told that parable. And I think that's where, G, that's where Peter learned his lesson, to never negotiate. Just trust the Lord. Give whatever he, you know, want and be generous, and he will take care of us. He'll go beyond what's just and fair. So once again, the inference from the Lord is, why not just trust me, give you what is right? When you do that, you will not ever limit me. And so that's what he was telling us. See, the Lord wants us to know that when we give financially, it's his opportunity to show us what kind of giver he is. But it's a lifetime of giving. You know, so that's because it's a lifetime of his money that we are managing. So it's going to be a lifetime of giving back to him. And in verse 14, I love how Paul kind of ends this whole thing about giving where he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I appreciate Paul ending the discussion on giving with attention being given to the greatest giver of all time, God. The indescribable gift of his son, Jesus, through him, through salvation. And that word indescribable is simply saying that it is impossible to adequately describe this gift. It's beyond full description. It's beyond generosity. No man can conceive, much less declare, how great this gift is. For these were things even the angels desired to look into, but they were beyond them. This indescribable, unspeakable, the highest gift and the greatest generosity God has ever given us was given at a great sacrifice of his son. And that's what makes it such a wonderful thing. That's what made it generous because of the sacrifice with it. And what we get in return from that generosity of God and that sacrifice is beyond what's fair. It's beyond what's just. We get heaven. We get eternal life. So he's just telling us, hey, be imitators of me. Be generous and show sacrifice.